Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Last week, in the first episode of our series, Reconstructing Manhood and Womanhood in a Culture Where They're Broken, we looked outward at one of the most influential but broken worldviews of gender and sexuality shaping our culture, gender theory. This week, we want to look inward at how our own sinful nature fractures the intimacy of the marriage relationship, which is the foundation of marriage in God's design. No Christian couple walks down the wedding aisle planning for their love relationship to fracture, but nearly 50% of Christian marriages do. A careful examination of what divorcees say was missing in their marriages reveals time and again that what was lost was the closeness that we call intimacy. This episode examines how our sinful nature fractures the intimacy in marriage and what to do about it. Thanks for joining us today for Season 4, Episode number 7 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. At the heart of fallen sinful nature is self. And one of the more subtle components of self-centeredness is expecting and perhaps demanding that others be like me. When I look closely at the biggest time of struggle in my marriage with Sandy, at the core was self-centeredness, expecting her to be like me, and if not like me, then at least accommodate to me. And then I became resentful when she did not accommodate to me. I think she would say the same for herself. Here is our story. Several years into our marriage, we found ourselves growing distant to one another emotionally and sexually. We knew that having four children born to us in three and a half years was putting a strain on our relationship, but we had compensated by intentionally setting apart a weekly date night and even romantic getaways from the kids each year. Yet we were growing distant and worse than that, resentful towards each other. I resented her because the coolness in our relationship made her feel less interested in sex than I needed her to be. I've always feared Satan tearing me and my ministry down by my sexual failure. I know that the biblical teaching is that the best defense is a great offense. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. But I had not been meeting the intimacy needs of her heart. She was spending a lot of her time caring for my father who was living with us, and when one of my relatives unfairly criticized her for the way she cared for him, I defended my relative instead of realizing and understanding how much this was hurting her. She was resenting me and my desire for sex when she felt so wounded by me. In her words, With four children born to us in three and a half years, I wanted to keep up with Gary's desire to make love, but my tired body couldn't. Before long, I found myself having a negative attitude toward Gary's sex drive. What is it with men? All they ever want is sex. I had no idea that he is hardwired by God to need sex every few days to feel close to me and fill his emotional tank. Those are her words from our booklet, Intimacy, God's Design for Marriage three conversational dates to rediscover intimacy. The distance between us was so real that on Valentine's Day that year, a day that has always been special to us because on Valentine's Day I asked her to be my wife, we spent the evening with our young kids avoiding our usual delightful Valentine's Day together. 
eventually what pulled us out of this intimacy breakdown was realizing that in our self-centeredness, we were demanding that our mate be like ourselves, and in so doing, rejecting God's design of each other. We needed to have our eyes opened to value better God's creation differences. As we all know, God's creation design of marriage is spelled out in the second chapter of the Bible. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This text is overflowing with significance for understanding marriage. First, marriage is the joining of lives. Husband and wife leave father and mother to begin life together. It is the joining of our souls, that is, of our minds sharing our opinions, our hearts sharing our feelings, and our will making mutual decisions together. Second, marriage is the joining of our bodies in sex, and they shall become one flesh. This oneness of heart and soul is celebrated through the passion of uniting ourselves in the deepest sense of the word by joining bodies. But God's description of marriage doesn't end there. God then gives us the goal of marriage, and they were both naked and not ashamed. God's goal for marriage is loving intimacy between husband and wife. Eve is created with a spirit, heart, and body which corresponds to Adam's. Marriage is given as the one safe arena where husband and wife are naked, body, soul, and spirit laid bare and vulnerable to each other. God makes such nakedness as safe as is humanly possible by designing marriage to be a covenant in which husband and wife vow to love each other unconditionally till death us do part, making those vows in front of the state, the church, their parents, and closest friends. Thus, husband and wife can be naked and not feel ashamed or afraid. Adam and Eve's like natures, combined with a vow to love each other unconditionally, and the experience of bearing their hearts and bodies to one another, enable them to experience loving intimacy. And remember, Eve was created so that Adam would not be alone. So how is loving intimacy pursued? First, pursuing conversation, which unites two souls. Sharing our experiences, feelings, ideas, plans, hopes, and dreams is the path to the oneness of soul God wants married couples to enjoy. This requires taking control of our schedule and making time each day to talk. It also requires active listening, seeking to understand our mates' feelings and ideas. Christian counselor and wife Barbara Rosberg in The Five Love Needs of Men and Women writes, The word intimacy comes from a Latin word which means innermost. What this translates into for those of us in the marriage relationship is a vulnerable sharing of our inner thoughts, feelings, spirit, and true self. Both men and women need to feel secure in this sharing and confident of their spouse's support. This support is achieved through listening, empathy, prayer or reassurance. And the second part of God's design for marriage to meet our need for loving intimacy means pursuing lovemaking, which leads to oneness of body. Both the Old Testament and New Testament teach that frequent sexual union is the best prevention against sexual sin. In a profound way, this mingling of bodies is an expression of the deepest human experience of oneness and intimacy. 
Pastor's wife, Ann Ortland, writes, Lovemaking is the most practical, binding, and enriching experience of all married love. There is one person who knows you and wants to know you more, better than anyone but God. And that's why God gave you sex, to interact at the deepest possible human levels. Your sex life as a married couple will make your self-esteem go up or down. So there's the design of marriage, but what caused Sandy's and my intimacy to fracture? Well, in Scripture, by the time we get to God's design of marriage in Genesis 2, verses 24 through 25, he's already gone to great lengths to show us how different Adam and Eve are designed to be. Adam is physical. He is made from the ground, given a name that means ground. The Hebrew word for ground is Adamah called by God to work the ground, and when he sins, what is cursed is the ground. When it comes to the two components of marriage, joining hearts and joining physical bodies, Adam's nature fits the earthly, primal, physical side of intimacy, sex. Men are awakened sexually by physical sight, no relationship necessary. 83% of Christian men say that their wife doesn't understand their physical need for sexual intimacy. In God's perfect design, this physical creature made from the ground is given a physical body that has a physical buildup of semen. One pair of authors explain, a man has 17 sexual glands. Like millions of energizer bunnies, these glands work day and night producing semen, which is stored in an inner sac of the testes. When that sac fills up, his testes tell his brain, do something quick before I explode. A man's need for sex is not all in his mind. His sexual command center demands release from the accumulated buildup. That's from a pair of wives, Linda Dillow and Lorraine Pontus, in a book called Intimate Issues. The irony is that in God's design, the earthy, physical male, who probably doesn't even know he has any emotional needs, is driven by his body into the arms of his wife. And it is in her arms that the deepest of his emotional needs are met. Here's what I mean. When a wife welcomes his sexual advances, she is giving him what he most needs to be emotionally renewed. As she yields invitingly to his caresses, revealing her nakedness, she shows her trust in him. As she willingly surrenders to the sexual desire that he is seeking to awaken in her, he feels more confident as a man. As she opens her heart and body to him, inviting him to come into her, She shows in the deepest possible way that she wants him. Thus, for a man, his partner's inviting surrender to him sexually meets his deepest emotional needs to feel trusted, confident, and wanted. As his emotional tank is refilled in her nurturing arms, his feelings of love for her come rushing back, overpowering him. You know, most people realize that a wife needs to feel in love in order to want to make love, but very few realize the inverse, that husbands need to make love in order to feel in love. It was my wife understanding this truth that put an end, well, almost, to rejecting my hardwired craving for sex. She stopped seeing it as a selfish appetite 
and now sees it as God's ordained pathway for me back to remembering how much I cherish her and nurturing my heart. So let's look at Eve's design. In sharp contrast to Adam, in case we hadn't noticed, is the identity of Eve. She is made from the man, given the name woman, Isha, because she was taken out of the man, Ish, called by God to partner with the man, and when she sins, what is cursed is her relationship with the man and their kids. Eve is created to yearn for connection to her husband's heart. Romance to her is attraction to the whole person. She is made from his rib. Intimacy for her is not an event. It is an environment. Christian counselor Barbara Rosberg explains to husbands, Men, your sex drive is connected to your eyes. You become aroused visually. Your wife's sex drive is connected to her heart. She is aroused only after she feels emotional closeness and harmony. You feel less masculine if your wife resists your sexual advances. Your wife feels like a machine if she doesn't experience sexual intimacy flowing from emotional intimacy. 83% of wives say their husbands don't understand their need for emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy to a wife means feeling so thoroughly loved and accepted that she easily and constantly shares with her lover what is going on in her heart. The emotional intimacy she craves is having her husband be her best friend who loves to talk with her about everything because that is what best friends do. Dr. Gary Rosberg describes a wife's yearning for intimacy. He writes, Melody's idea of intimacy is sitting on the love seat with Dan, a couple of cappuccinos beside them, a roaring fire in front of them, no kids around them, and plenty of time for a good, long, heart-to-heart talk. This yearning makes it very difficult for her to live with a husband who does not long to know her, what is going on in her heart. I was curious about how this male-female difference in the creation design might be reflected in the Song of Songs, which is, after all, God's revelation to us about romance. So, this past week I cataloged the words spoken by the female lover, the Shulamite, to her lover Solomon, and the word said by Solomon to his lover, the Shulamite. In 31 verses, the male lover's words described attraction to her physical beauty. For example, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your two breasts are like fawns. In just two verses, he expressed longing to enjoy a relationship with her. In contrast, the female lover's words to her beloved have 28 verses that are spoken of her longing to enjoy a relationship with him. In 16 verses, she speaks of attraction to his physical body. That sexual attraction is there. But interestingly, her most vivid description of his body ends with the craving to be his friend. His body is polished ivory. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His mouth is most sweet, 
and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. In summary, regarding the male, there are 31 verses on physical attraction, two on relational attraction. Regarding the female, there are 16 verses on physical attraction and 28 verses on relational attraction. No wonder Christian counselor Gary Rosberg writes, no matter how many times I hear couples lament their differences in the counseling room or at conferences, it is the same story. Men spell intimacy, S-E-X, and women spell it T-A-L-K. The fracture in Sandy's and my relationship began to be repaired when we stopped resenting and began to highly value the way God created the other's intimacy needs to be so different from our own, requiring us to lean on Jesus to get out of our comfort zone and love each other well. Here are three further steps to prevent fissures cracking in marriage oneness. First, devote yourself to understanding her heart. Here are five ways to listen empathetically. Number one, pay attention. There is no substitute for locking our thoughts onto what she is talking about. One psychologist, Paul Tournier, tells husbands, a woman thinks in detail. Details interest her more than general ideas. She has a need to tell all the day's happenings once she is with her husband. Number two, practice shut upping. <laughs> Interrupting with questions makes the other person feel like she is being interrogated. Or worse, it puts you in control of the conversation and guessing about what is going on inside her instead of letting her continue to talk about what is going on inside of herself. Boy, do I make that mistake. Number three, use body language that shows you are engaged with what she is sharing. If she starts to well up, always move physically toward her and show the kind of touch that fits the moment. Lock your eyes to hers as you listen. Number four, listen solely with the goal of understanding what she is feeling so she can lay bare her heart and still feel cherished. There's a place for giving advice and problem solving if they're sought. But realize that problem solving and giving advice may feel to her like you are discounting her feelings or trying to change her instead of giving her the gift of understanding and cherishing the vulnerable inner self she has just revealed. Number five, occasionally mirror back to her what you think she just said, looking for her feelings. You may say, well, I think you're saying ABC, and she may say, no, that's not it at all. But that's okay, because the goal is to cause your bride to feel like you are trying to understand what she's feeling because you cherish her. The second way to prevent cracks in the marriage foundation of intimacy is this. As the spiritual leader of your marriage, lead your wife to join you in making three commitments to overcome sexual misunderstanding. Number one, we will respect the form that our mate's sexual and romantic desires take because we value God's perfect design of the opposite gender. Shanna Etheridge in Every Woman's Battle observes some common differences. She writes, men crave sexual intimacy, women crave emotional intimacy. Men give love to get sex, women give sex to get love. Men can disconnect body from mind, heart, and soul. 
Women's body, mind, heart, and soul are intricately connected. Men are stimulated by what they see, women by what they hear. Men have a recurrent semen buildup cycle. Premenopausal women have a recurrent emotional hormonal cycle. Men are vulnerable to unfaithfulness in the absence of physical touch. Women are vulnerable in the absence of emotional connection. The second commitment to be sure that you're overcoming sexual misunderstanding is this. We will both learn to adapt to the other's romantic and sexual desires. Paul does not command women to adapt to their husband's stronger sex drive because sometimes his is weaker than hers. But what he does teach is that the one with the weaker sex drive is to adjust to the one with the stronger sex drive. Do not deprive one another so that Satan may not tempt you. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. The third commitment, we will see lovemaking as the opportunity to give the other our body for his or her enjoyment. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In God's design, on the day that a man and woman marry, they participate in a gift exchange. On her wedding night, the bride gives her husband the gift of her body, and her husband gives the gift of his body to her. So the second way to overcome cracks in the intimacy foundation of our marriage is to make these commitments to overcoming sexual misunderstanding. The third way to guard against cracks in the intimacy foundation of our marriage is to make an agreement about how we will handle our anger with one another. Here are four suggestions for what that contract might contain. Number one, we agree to tell each other when we're angry. Number two, we agree to try to not vent our anger upon one another. Number three, we agree that feelings are feelings, neither right nor wrong. We resist trying to convince the other person that they are wrong to feel a certain way. But we can clarify a misunderstanding of our intentions. And number four, we will ask for the other's help in solving whatever is causing the pain beneath the anger. A third way to deal with the cracks in our intimacy foundation. Well, as many of you have figured out, this episode has been designed this way because this Tuesday is Valentine's Day. You may want to talk about some of the above principles or maybe not. Either way, the following safe questions can get a conversation going. Number one, what first attracted you to your mate? Number two, what do you remember most about your first date? Number three, when were some of the times when you felt closest to each other over this past year? Number four, what has been your funniest or most memorable lovemaking experience? To summarize this episode in our series, Reconstructing Manhood and Womanhood in a Culture Where They're Broken, we looked at how our own sinful inclination to self-centeredness fractures marriage intimacy. The differences in design between males and females mean that we do not default to loving each other well. Our laziness prevents us from doing the hard work of discovering how different she is from us. We crave sex and get resentful when she's not interested which meets our intimacy need, 
but get weary of trying to make time to open up with her about what is going on inside of us or make ourselves listen attentively to her feelings in order to cherish her by valuing what her heart is feeling. A look at the creation of man and woman as well as God's revelation to us about romantic sexual love in Song of Songs reveals the difference in our design that will fracture our intimacy if we do not proactively overcome it. That pursuit begins with valuing God's design of our partner with intimacy needs that are different from our own and therefore takes us out of our comfort zone to meet. It is only Christ that can produce in us the unselfish agape love that adapts to each other's needs. We reviewed five steps to empathetic listening, pay attention, shut up, affirm that you're listening with your body language, listen for the purpose of better cherishing her because you know and care about what's on her heart, occasionally mirror back what you think she is saying to make sure you understand. We considered that as the spiritual leaders of our marriage, we need to make sure that we are talking about and working to value the differences in each other's sexual desires and needs. We talked about three commitments that we need to make in that area. A third way to preempt marriage fracturing has to do with handling anger well. We saw the need to agree to tell each other when we're angry, not vent our anger on the other, agree that feelings are neither right nor wrong, the hurt may have resulted from misinterpreting each other's intent, which can be clarified, but not in a way that invalidates the other's feelings. And fourth, ask for the other's help in solving whatever is causing the pain beneath the anger. For further prayerful thought, number one, how does God's creation design of male and female differently seem to explain why husbands and wives have such different intimacy needs? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, as we continue our series, Reconstructing Manhood and Womanhood in a Culture Where They Are Broken, the episode is entitled Raising Feminine Girls and Masculine Boys. We will continue to define masculinity and femininity from Scripture with a view toward affirming godly manhood in our sons and godly womanhood in our daughters. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.